Welcome to Paychecks Thrive, a business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Paychecks Thrive Podcast. My name is Gene Marks. Thank you so much for joining me. We're going to have an extended conversation about the SECURE Act. We're going to go back into the history of time on uh, retirement uh, and talk about the original SECURE Act of 2019, and then, of course, the brand new SECURE 2.0 uh, which was just passed as part of an omnibus spending bill at the end of the year. Uh, and there's a lot of it that will really impact all of us as business owners. So we are uh, I'm excited to uh, to get into it. And I'm excited to talk about it with our guests. I've got Sarah Faye Pierce, who is the head of government relations at Paychex. And I've got Michael Majors, who is a vice president of HR solutions at Paychex. So first of all, both of you guys, thank you so much for joining me. Sarah, you are, um, you've been on the job now for, I forgot before we started recording, did you say nine months you've been at Paychecks now? About nine months. Crazy. Yes. And are you so, based, so- you're based in DC? <laughs> I'm based in DC. And yep. your mm-hmm. whole job is to lobby our political representation for, in the interests of Paychecks' customers. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's a that's a great yeah great great encapsulation of what I do. Um, I'm I'm here uh, advancing the strategic objectives of the company, but certainly those uh, strategic objectives align with um, best supporting our 730,000 clients across the country. Uh, we have a big job because we pay one in 12 private sector workers, and so I go to the hill and I talk about policies that will help those small businesses uh, be successful and be uh, as competitive or compete on a similar level as the bigger companies. What I mean, it's a fascinating job and I always get fascinated by people that are in the lobbying business. And I just want to be, you know, really clear about this, that, um, you know, Sarah is not, it's, it's not about paychecks, but it's about paychecks customers uh, because, right. you know, what benefits your customers clearly benefits paychecks, right? So, um, and, and as a business owner myself, it is good to know that, I mean, you know, I belong to certain small business organizations. They're lobbying on our behalf. Uh, my company is also a Paychex customer, so it's good to know that there are people from Paychex that are actually out there looking after me because I don't have the money or the time or the resource to do that. So thank you for doing that. I can only imagine how many cocktail parties you go to, but that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> so, um, another podcast. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, Michael, um, you are vice president of HR solutions at Paychex. Um, so first of all, tell me, how long have you been with the company? And tell us a little bit about what that means that you're VP of HR Solutions. Yeah, so uh, glad to be here with you today, Gene and Sarah. I, I've been with Paychex this month. It's actually 18 years. Whoa. So it's been a great career in an awesome company. Uh, what I do as Vice President of HR Solutions is my team helps our clients and uh, new prospects that come to Paychex, helps them set up benefits like 401k or other retirement options health and benefits, and we also help them with HR in outsourcing their HR needs, helping them manage you know, the day-to-day complexities of running a small business, really giving the small companies access to you know, large company benefits at costs that work for them, and also HR resources that the big companies have that they're able to outsource through us at a fraction of the cost of trying to do it themselves. You know, unrelated to this conversation, I'm, I'm literally... Um planning on writing a piece, I think for the Philly Inquirer um, in the next few weeks about when 
a, a small business should actually hire a full-time HR manager? You know, like what are the sort of the tipping points they should be aware of um, as opposed to outsourcing it? But then again, there's a balance. And I'm assuming you deal with a lot of, you know, a lot of companies that are all sizes that rely on you guys to perform the HR functions rather than having that. Yeah. Expense. We find each company is unique. Yeah. It, you know, sometimes outsourcing makes sense. Sometimes insourcing makes sense. And sometimes people need to do both, Fair enough. you know, to, to get adequate coverage and all their capabilities. So kind of customize it for each client. Okay. Um, this conversation is about secure, secure 2.0 and the original secure act. It's about retirement benefits. Um, so that's one of the things, Michael, that your group, you know, helps, you know, your clients with. And certainly it's one of those things, Sarah, that you've been lobbying for and working on as well. So I'm going to start with you, Sarah. Let's, um, just so we all know, first of all, the question I'm going to ask you, I think is obvious, which is like, we're in a retirement crisis, right? But we all read the news and we kind of know that. I'd love to get your perspective on, on what exactly that means. How much of a, of a retirement crisis do you feel this country is in? What are the issues? Well, I don't want to say it's a burgeoning crisis. I think it's a crisis that um, really started developing as we were, you know, leaving the 20th century, you know, coming into the 2000s where, you saw this this kind of bifurcation of how employers uh, and the private sector handle retirement savings. And, you know, years gone by, there were, you know, very popular Cadillac benefits like defined benefit plans, which were employer sponsored fully plans. And, you know, there was a series of, you know, public, uh, very, very public, um, you know, failures of some of those plans, and they had to seek, you know, government bailouts. And that really created a shift into a new structure, which is this whole notion that we all well know today, which is the defined contribution or the 401k plan is a popular example of that. And it really shifted the burden from an employer supported retirement savings that's, you know, guaranteed into the responsibility of the employees to uh, contribute their own money. And in some cases, employers would, you know, match a certain percentage of that money. But it, it really shifted that burden. And I think we're seeing that play out. If you just look at the statistics from the private sector, for example, 49% of private sector workers are not contributing to either a defined benefit or a defined contribution plan. And I would say that's a crisis proportion situation if you kind of think about, you know, what's to come in our future as those uh, workers contemplate retirement. Michael, you see the same thing among your clients. I mean, you're advising them on HR and you run into a lot, particularly, I guess, your smaller clients that are still not set up for a 401k or not contributing or even matching their employees' contributions. Yeah. I mean, what, what we found through surveys and other research is about 75% of small business owners would like to offer a retirement option for their employees. Right. Right. But there's really two reasons that they don't, you know, in their mind. The first one is cost. Right. You know, they're right. very, you know, cost sensitive, especially, you know, with the inflationary environment that, you know, we've seen today. And the other is just complexity. It sounds complicated. They really don't have full-time HR professionals. Uh, that have time to sit there and be the one to manage it for the company. So those two things kind of scare them off and ultimately leads to only one fourth of the small businesses that offer a retirement plan, you know, as it exists today, which I think is why we're seeing this legislation. 
like Sarah talked about, we need to find a way to widen that and to get more small businesses and their employees access to this benefit. I, I, I'm going to, I have to just jump in here and just say just, and this is for me personally, it is, it's crazy to me when I meet clients that don't have a 401k plan, particularly now with, you know, with the secure act from 2019 and secure 2.0, which we're going to dig into there. There's really no excuse right now for not having one. And, um, I, 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 I can't tell you how often I meet clients that have, uh, you know, they have, even if they have a 401k plan, they're not matching contributions. They're not promoting it to their employees. They're not, you know, telling them the benefits of enrollment and then people don't save enough for retirement. And then when people get to a certain age or they want to retire, they find they can't. And in in many cases, it's my clients who are bearing the, the burden you know, they're keeping on these employees into a more of an advanced age because they know they, they haven't put away enough money for, I'm seeing, I see that frequently. And I, and I also see a lot of my clients that don't, um, they don't get the fact that the more their employees put away in their plans, the more they can put away for retirement as well. So our, our job, all of us is to create this awareness and spread that awareness um, so that businesses understand that there's a lot of help to get this set up. So, Michael, let me let's turn back to you, and we'll let, we'll go back to 2019. The Secure Act of 2019 passed. It was at the end of the year. It was like December of 2019, and then COVID hit. You know, in March. So it, it just got overshadowed. I mean, not a lot of people knew some of the big benefits of it, and a lot of the um, a lot of the things in that Secure Act of 2019 are still you know, you're effective today. In fact, have been upgraded today by Secure 2.0. But let's start with 2019. What are some of the big takeaways from the Secure? What do you want, you know, our listeners and viewers to know from the Secure Act of 2019 that, that's in existence right now before we even get into the next phase, the Secure 2.0? Yeah, well, I, I remember the Secure Act of 2019 really well because that was such a bipartisan piece of legislation. And then it literally passed at the last minute, very similar to what we saw happen the other day. And all of a sudden, uh, my Christmas holiday was ruined because we started getting together every day right after Christmas and you know diving into the legislation and figuring out like, what could paychecks do to get more businesses and their employees access using this vehicle? Right. And out of that came two really big provisions that I think set the foundation you know, for even Secure 2.0 and made some progress towards addressing those two big concerns that business owners have. It helped with tax credits, you know, partially funding, you know, or, or partially uh, reimbursing the businesses to get a plan set up. So it, it made progress in that area. And then it also allowed for this other vehicle called the pooled employer plan. And, you know, Paychex was one of the first companies that I think that really saw that that had huge potential to simplify take away the complexity and reduce the risk and fiduciary responsibility for the business owner. So we were one of the first providers to come out with a pooled employer plan. So that and the tax credits like have had an enduring legacy on how many businesses are starting plans because we have seen outside that initial COVID challenge that you kind of talked about that happened. Uh, once we moved past that, a large uptick in businesses starting plans just from the first Secure Act. I found it. Um, I, yeah, go ahead, I sir. Jump in there, Gene, and just kind of extol some of the virtues of of the success of, of really what Michael's articulating. Um, the PEP 
the pooled employer plan was so incredibly popular and we saw our clients come out of the gate immediately. And we had over 14,000 of our clients join the PEP, um, which changed the retirement savings game for 90,000 workers immediately. And certainly we have grown considerably through that arrangement. And one of the things that I believe made our messages to Capitol Hill so successful with the Secure 2.0 is that we brought that report card to the drafters of 1.0 and really encouraged them um, and showed the evidence that they are changing the game of retirement security for employees who work for small businesses, but also for for those business owners themselves. Sarah, are you comfortable in just um, just explaining just it could be 30,000 foot overview of what the sure. a pulled employer plan means, like why it's been so popular to your to your clients, to your customers? Well, Michael, Michael hit on it, and he might also want to sure. want to jump in here as, as well. But the the pooled employer plan shifts fiduciary responsibility from the employer over into the plan. And so we become the fiduciary for administering that retirement savings plan. So essentially it's shedding liability for employers and that is cost and administrative complexity are the the top two reasons that small businesses do not offer plans to their employees. And so we saw an incredible uptake from those, you know, smallest of small businesses, five five employees or less jumping into this plan. And it's been incredible. And and in 2.0, there there are some supporting and sustaining policies that will even help the PEP further. That's a great explanation. Michael, yeah. anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I would just add, you know, to Sarah's comments, it's been incredibly popular. So when we sit down in front of a business owner and say, hey, here's a single employer plan, here's the pluses and minuses, here's our pooled employer plan, here's, you know, what, you know, the pluses and minuses of our, of that, of the businesses are choosing to go on the pooled employer plan rather than to start a single employer plan that they're the plan administrator and the fiduciary for. So it's been a game changer to allow them to use paychecks as the pooled plan provider and take on those responsibilities and legal fiduciary responsibility. Great. So guys, for for those of you guys that are watching and listening, we, we've done a few podcasts on pooled employer plans, and there is some, you know, some good written articles about it on paychecks.com. So you can certainly get your, you know, more details about it there. Uh, my only takeaway is, uh, you know, again, if you if you're unaware of a PEP, a pooled employer plan, or you're you've you've thought about it, strongly recommend that you look into it. I have many dozens of clients that have moved towards pooled employer plans uh, because of that reduced fiduciary responsibilities that Sarah mentioned. There's reduced administrative costs as well, um, and if done the right way, um, it can provide you know the same type of retirement benefits that you were getting before or virtually the same, but really, really at a much lower cost. So that those are the big takeaways from 2019, right, Michael? Uh, for the 2019 SECURE Act, we had tax credits to make it easier for uh, people to start up 401k plans. And then there was the pooled employer plan as well. Those are the two big things. There were other parts of the 2019 SECURE Act, but those are sort of the two big takeaways. Now we get into SECURE 2.0. So, um, Sarah, the Secure 2.0 passed at the very end of 2022. It it wasn't even a standalone bill. It was part of the, you know, omnibus spending bill. It got kind of rolled into that. And there was, um, for a while, there was like a Senate bill, and then there was a bill in the House, right? Two separate bills that kind Mm -hmm. of mirrored each other, but they said different, you know, whatever of each. I just, I guess, um, 
you know what I want to do before I, I turn it over to Michael and we, we, we start talking about the particulars? Only because, Sarah, you're on the Hill and you're doing this. Go ahead and give a shout out to some of the representatives that you think were, were sort of in. We talked about this being bipartisan, right? Mm-hmm. There are both Democrats and Republicans that really pushed for this thing. And I'm kind of curious, just a little background as to how this ultimately became actual legislation. Sure. Well, I'll shout it out and I'll probably use a little inside baseball here and then I'll, I'll decipher after the fact. But, um, you know, anytime you can get, you know, full, you know, bipartisan agreement in Washington, I think people will flock to that table. Right. Um, and in this case, we had what we called, um, you know, four corners or eight corners, if you will, um, in terms of agreement on on the policy to advance uh, 2.0. And when we say that, it's two committees in the Senate and two committees in the House had primary jurisdiction or their responsibility was to work out um, the details of the final um, secure 2.0. Um, so major leaders, you know, in this area, you know, chairman or excuse me, ranking member uh, Kevin Brady from Texas, who is now retired, as well as Senator Rob Portman from Ohio, who likewise has retired, were the like two really significant drivers and particularly ranking member Brady because of his strong leadership for um, small businesses um, in the legislation. But certainly you had um, uh, Senator Crapo and Senator Wyden from um, Finance Committee as well, who are who are really, really leaders and distinguish themselves uh, in this debate. And certainly um, one of the, the things that I think delights people uh, like myself in this work is that as we were talking to the committee staff and the committee staff, you could tell just had such a rich respect for one another. And you could also tell that they were friends and they liked each other, which I think also creates such a great environment to create good policy. And and like you said, there were a number of different bills and they had a very big job to work out and reconcile. I believe there were about 80 plus different provisions and there are only, I mean, 20 or 30 that um, were appeared in all three different versions of the bill. And so they, they had a, they had a, a big job to do and they certainly, they certainly got it uh, to the finish line um, with the omnibus bill. Yeah. I, I appreciate you, you calling out some of those people. And, and I have to say, you know, I, I, because I write for the Hill and I write for the Washington times and I, I do speak to a number of senators and congressmen as part of the stuff that I do. It, the, the entrepreneurship, small business entrepreneurship committee in the Senate, and then of course the House Small Business Committee, it's like one of the few bright lights in Washington of bipartisanship. Yep. Everybody has that support, you know, for small business. And it makes your job easier because it's so much less confrontational. You know, you are, you're advocating for something that like both sides of the table also, right. you know, it, it, it is, it's definitely helpful. Okay. So the bill actually came, finally, we got it in. There was questions as to whether or not that was, you know, these parts are going to be in there. And you're all right. There are certain things that didn't make it into the bill that I was kind of hoping to see, but nothing that significant was lost. So Michael, let me turn to you. Okay. Let, let's get into some of the highlights of this bill. Okay. The first thing is about easing costs of entry. So let's talk about that and feel free to dig into the details. Yeah, well, building off of what we found in Secure 1.0, the tax credits were enhanced. So we, we knew we made some good progress with the original bill, but there were still you know, businesses that are like, hey, I don't know that I can afford this. So now the tax credits not only cover a maximum of 50%, but they can cover up to 100% of the costs for the first three years for the business. That is really a game changer. 
uh, because you could literally say in many cases that the government is going to fully subsidize letting you have a plan for you and your employees for the next three years. And it kind of takes that part of the, the conversation about, I'm not sure if I have the cash flow to have this off the table, you know, for the business owner. So that was probably one of the biggest parts of the legislation. But then it did something new that the original SECURE Act didn't even address at all. And with about half of our clients choosing to do some kind of a match for their employees, it allows them to get a subsidy uh, in the form of a tax credit for those matches so that they can get up to $1,000 an employee uh, for the first year. And, and then it, over a period of five years, it slowly declines uh, to help them afford that match. So two really Huge. big pieces of the legislation that we're excited to talk to clients about uh, as we're having conversations about them starting a retirement plan. So I, we think that so those I, two will be game changers. I mean, that's, that's for, first of all, Sarah, do you have some, anything to add there? No, I mean, I think the a couple other things that we were watching that we thought will be added benefit, I think from a competitive business competitiveness perspective, uh, were the auto enrollment provisions, as well as the student loan matching yeah. um, option. Um, and, and again, critical for those younger workers, get them in the system, get them saving, help them um, by offsetting um, that student loan payment Good. that they have. Yeah, we're going to definitely get to them. Yeah. And I, um, because you're, you're absolutely right. And, and Michael, just to sort of reemphasize some of the two things you said, Again, this is coming from me in perspective. Uh, number one is there's no excuse now not to start up a 401k plan. If you're using cost as an excuse, it's not an excuse anymore. You you will get a tax credit for that. And and I can also say to you, although I don't, I, I haven't looked at these details, but I'm, I, I was told by another CPA friend of mine, I'm also a CPA, so this is coming from me, not necessarily paychecks, but this applies to all businesses, not just for-profits, but non-profits as well. Um, so even if you have a non-profit organization, people are like, well, how can I get a tax credit if I don't have a, if I'm, if I have a non-profit, but generally these tax credits go towards your payroll taxes, so you can still take advantage of it there. So I just, I want to be clear that whatever organization you're running, um, there are going to be tax credits available for you to start up your 401k. That's number one. And number two is, I mean, geez, I, I missed it the first go around the contribution. Like, like literally you're going to get a credit for contributing that matching your employees 401k contribution is, is amazing, you know? And the idea there is that, okay, so if you do a match, um, you know, then again, as you match, you can also contribute more to your 401k plan, but you also are getting in the groove of making that match. And the government is, um, uh, government knows it's HR because you guys know being in the HR space that once you start a benefit, very, very tough to stop it. <laughs> so if you start matching and the government gives you a credit for that, and you can do that for up to five years and get some type of a credit. I think the government is is kind of betting on once you start that, you can't go back to your employees and say, I'm not going to match any longer. I mean, you can, but it makes it harder for you to do. And um, I kind of like that. It, it pushes us into doing what we know is right, which is helping our, and it's a very valuable benefit to provide. So um, those are those are two big, big things to ease the cost of entry into this, uh, into starting up a 401k plan. Michael, let me turn back to you. So the next yeah, area. And, and Gene, I, I want to add one other thing yes, on the, uh, the auto enrollment piece, you know, that Sarah said, yes. Yes. that is so important. I know it gets overlooked a lot of times, but just having a plan, you know, for a business is a great first step. But if we can't get those employees to enroll in the plan, 
we haven't really served the purpose of making sure that everybody starts to save for their own retirement in this post-pension era, you know, that we're all living in. And so having that auto enrollment requirement for, for plans will make a huge difference because just like you said, like, you know, once a business puts a benefit in place, it's really hard to pull it back. Hey, once you get auto enrolled in a plan and you start doing deductions, you're much less likely to ever stop doing that as well. So it'll just get a lot more individuals saving into the system too. So we're very bullish on the impact of that for society. Now, I got to imagine, Sarah, the auto enrollment part, um, it, it's kind of controversial, right? If you're a business owner, you really don't want to you know, be in that stage. But at the same time, um, it, it does take the onus off the business owner, right? You can be like, hey, uh, listen, this isn't me telling you you have to enroll. This is the government now is requiring it. Yeah, you said controversial. And I said, yeah, it was pretty controversial on the Hill because yeah. <laughs> they were trying to work out the final bill. Um, you know, who who would have thought auto enrollment um, because it's a mandate yeah. um, really kind of cut across party lines. And so it, it, that's a big victory uh, for us coming out of, of, of 2.0 just to, to harken back. Um, to the legislation for a minute. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, again, it's going back to that administrative administrative burden issue that uh, businesses shirk away from. And um, but the reality is, is the more that we can improve these plans, the more that we can improve their functionality and then the uptake for the employees, the better off uh everyone is going to be across the board. And we also know 71% of small business owners feel personal responsibility to offer retirement savings options to their employees, but they don't because of some of these issues. And so to have legislation that so clearly delineates solutions that make it easy for small business to engage is, is we are, we're in the sweet spot. Yeah, there really is. And, and I also want to be clear about when this auto enrollment it is a mandate, but but at the same time, your employees can opt out. You know, so even if you enroll them, and if somebody has a big issue, they can they can back out. And then, Michael, there are some exceptions to this auto enrollment rule as well. Are you you comfortable talking about what some of those exceptions are? Yeah, I mean, for the smallest of businesses, they did allow businesses under ten employees to to make that optional. Right. You know, when they set up the plan, if they're going to do it or not, or if it's a new business. Uh, so a business that's been in business less than three years. So those are two you know, key areas that will be able to opt out. Uh, it also believes I it extends, I believe, to churches right. and government plans right. that they can also choose not to have auto enrollment. And the um, when we talk about auto enrollment, it starts at three percent. Correct. That is the. Uh, that that's the the contribution that needs to be that needs to be made, and then th- it's going to escalate. Um, you know, over a, a period of years, um, like annually, um, up to at least 10%, but not more than 15%. So, you know, it's it, it's an issue. I know, particularly, I have some clients uh, that, uh, you know, their workforces are, uh, you know, immigrant workforces. I have one client, has got a lot of people from, uh, you know, from, from, a you know, Latino Hispanic community. Um, they, they, they don't like to participate, you know, in his business when their health plans are 401k plans that they'd rather just take the money and cash and they're all family members and all that. So I, I can see, I'm just envisioning right now that he's going to have a, you have to have a conversation with them, you know, any new employees that come that they refer in, they're going to be automatically enrolled. And I just think that's, um, I just think it's a good thing. And I, I think people will, 
um, learn that putting money away for retirement is um, will benefit them um, going forward. So the auto enrollment thing is really good. And, and um, that's going to be effective starting January 1st, 2025. So we, we still have all of 2023 and 2024 to prepare for that. So let's get to the next phase. So just as a recap, guys, okay, we talked about easing the cost of entry, which means um, making it basically reimbursing us for any costs that we have for starting up a plan and also reimbursing us through tax credits of, of making matching contributions. Um, then there's, you know, expanding the access, which basically means auto enrollment, um, part-timers, by the way, Michael, are also can now participate, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So instead of the three-year requirements for part-timers of having to work there, it's now been reduced to two years for part-timers before they can be eligible to participate. So just getting, again, more people into the system, because we do know in this you know workforce today and the environment, there are a lot of part-time employees. And this will make sure that they're not excluded from being able to get into the system too. Got it. And and also, I want to be clear, you know, to everybody listening or watching that, you know, uh, if you have a part timer and if they don't stay with your company or move on somewhere else, I mean, you know, their retirement funds are their retirement funds, so it can they can be moved to somewhere else. It's not like they're going to lose it. So that's also another. It's just another good benefit to provide. Um, Multi-generational workplace, uh, Secure 2.0 um, addresses some of those concerns. Michael, do you want to talk about it? We're talking about older and younger employees that are paying down their student loans. Yeah. So I, I think this is a, also a really neat part of the legislation. So there's some big headline things we've talked about, but there's a lot of different generations that are in the workforce today. You know, Gen Z, Gen Y, we millennial, baby boomer. Uh, we, we all know this. Gen X, and Gen the X. legislation tried Gen to X, help pretty much all of these different groups. <laughs> I just want to get mentioned. <laughs> I see you raising your hand. I, I won't tell you which generation I'm a part of. Uh, but, you know, one of the big things we're here about in the news a lot and is controversial, and I'm sure up on the Hill, too, a little bit, is about student loans. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that are fresh out of college, one of the reasons they don't participate in 401k plans is they feel they don't have the cash flow because they're paying off their student loans. Uh, but the one thing they're missing from doing that is, you know, if an employer offers a match and is willing to pay for a match, if they participate in the plan, if they don't put any money in, they're, they're really sacrificing that match and some of their retirement funds. So this legislation opened up the door to say, hey, if your employee is making student loan payments, you can actually match against that just as if they were contributing to the plan. I think that's a, a huge provision and I'm excited about it. Because then hopefully, you know, they'll get some funds saved up for retirement. And when they're done with those student loan payments, they'll be able to, to jump into the 401k plan because they'll already have balances that they've accrued from what their employers put in. So that's a big one. And then we have a lot of people nearing retirement, uh, kind of like you were suggesting. And so catch up, you know, contributions have been an important thing, you know, since uh, I think around 2005, 2006, when that was originally introduced as something that you could do inside a 401k plan and Secure2 expanded that. So when you get to age 60, you're able to put uh, $10,000 into the plan on top of the annual contribution limits, which will help accelerate people who are closer to retirement and maybe need to put in more than they would have in years past to get to their goals so that they can retire. 
excited about that. We also have the ability to have uh, an emergency savings option uh, inside the 401k. Uh, some folks don't want to put their money in the 401k because they're afraid, hey, if I do, what if I need it? Right. You know, it's for somebody that doesn't have a lot of savings outside whatever's in their 401k. So it kind of helps to eliminate that fear for some participants and should help accelerate more people getting into the system because they don't have to worry that if they do have a true emergency, they will be able to have access to funds or an emergency savings vehicle. And then there is for lower income workers, there's an enhanced savers match credit that's going to help them personally uh, if they do put some of their own funds into the plan. So these really attack different parts of the generation and society, but you know they're important elements of Secure 2.0 that will help specific groups. So a few things I wanted to add to what, what you said, Michael, the um, the student loan match. Again, if, uh, if you have a younger or anybody that's paying down their student loans and now you're allowed to match that into their 401k, it's a pre-tax match. So they will not get taxed on it and the employer can get a deduction for it. So that's that's super helpful. Um, and the catch up thing is is great. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it, you, you, you can start when you get over the age of 50. I think it's like seventy five hundred bucks you can contribute a year. And then once you at the age of 60, um, it goes up to ten thousand dollars. So it's a really great way for older employees to, to really kind of put some money away. Um, the, the other thing is that there was um, I don't think I have it in my notes here. But yeah, there was the ability, and again, stop me, you know, Michael, if this is something that goes off off scope here. But um, employers now will have the ability to contribute to Roth IRA into Roth accounts as well, after tax savings accounts. Correct? Is that yeah. are you familiar with that? that? That's right. So allowing Roth contributions is something that the plan sponsor has to amend in their plan right. if they would like to be able to offer that, but. You know all the different plans that we have that's an option so first of all the plan sponsor you know the the, the person that's running the plan has to choose that option but if they have it available with this enhanced uh catch-up contribution they can put those funds in as roth dollars uh which as they near retirement should be an advantage too so that was an exciting provision uh also yeah. you know, just to clarify yeah. on, on that piece and and the catch-up contribution is really important i will admit i and i know personally the catch-up contributions are helpful uh <laughs> and i don't yet qualify for the the new enhanced piece but uh i i do believe that that's going to be huge someday for, for coming it's coming up soon it's coming up soon sarah you're gonna you're gonna add something less than 10 years okay that's fair enough. <laughs> yeah i was just i was just gonna add with the, the catch-up the roth versus non-roth really was a, a cost mechanism in terms of the the ultimate bill negotiations and so they had to hit an income threshold there of a hundred thousand dollars in terms of you know whether or not you can do pre or post um tax for your contributions so just to to kind of add that there for the audience um as they're being aware of some of these provisions meaning that um you would be allowed to contribute to the you you it would have to, you have to be at a certain income level to be allowed to take advantage of that is that correct yeah okay. yeah and it was really be because of the price tag ultimately of the bill. Got it. And and for those of you listening or watching, just to make sure, and I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence, but the the you know the, the Roth retirement accounts are after tax contributions. So you you make a contribution to it after you've paid your taxes, but um, once that's there, it grows tax free. And the real cool thing about Roths is that it can grow and grow and grow tax free, and then when you pull it out, you don't have to pay any taxes on it. So it's 
you know, it's it's a, uh, you know, potentially can be a really great thing if, you know, your investments or markets going up. So that's real good. One final thing that we'll, we'll mention before I do a recap on this, and we'll talk about the future, uh, the required minimum distribution age, uh, Michael, has been increased, and then it's going to increase again. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, ultimately, it's going to now be increased up to 75, I think, in 2033. Right. But what's happened to just kind of explain that, you know, there's a lot of workers or people that have money in their plan that like, I don't really need the money right now. I don't, I don't want to take it out. You know, they may still be working, you know, for one thing. So it's kind of silly for, for them to have to take those funds out because we do have people working to a, a much older average age than we did, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and the other piece might just be that they don't need those funds uh, or they're doing something, you know, with what they're going to do or leave for their heirs. So this just allows them more flexibility and not being forced to take money out of their plan at a specific age, um, especially as it gets up into 2033, where it turns into the 75 year old. Cool. Uh, cool. Would be the first time they'd be forced to take money out of their plan. Um, Sarah, before we, you know, I, I don't mean to throw this curveball. I'm just kind of curious if you know or not the, I, I forget, I think it was Senator Wyden we, inter- we interviewed on this podcast about the, um, you know, about his bill. Um, one of the things that were in one of the bills was about um, being able to search a database to find your old retirement plans. <laughs> Do you, yeah. uh, you're familiar with that? Yeah. It, did that get dropped out of this bill or is that part of it? No, no, there, there was a, there were two differing provisions uh, with regard to the safe harbor, and it was really which regulatory body, uh, Treasury or the Department of Labor should maintain a safe harbor database. And ultimately, um, I believe it worked out to um, reside with uh, DOL um, because of their uh, charge for enforcement um, of these plans. Right. Um, and so essentially, they would hold the database, and you know, if there's stranded assets. Um, you know, it would be a, a, a repository for employees to go and, and search um, for any any monies that they may have left behind somewhere. Um, I think, you know, some of our concerns were just in terms of uh, we kind of raised, a, I don't want to say a red flag, but really more of a yellow cautionary flag to make sure that from an administrative perspective, um, you know, transferring those assets to a repository, um, you know, should be conducted in a, in a manner that's not burdensome for a small business. And so that was really more just our, you know, don't forget about the fact that, you know, there, there are some folks who can't handle you know, routine administration sure. of, you know, transferring assets but, but and whatnot. I, I, would this be, this would be applicable, I guess, to somebody who maybe, you know, they are a part-timer in a bunch of different, you know, three or four different jobs over the course of a decade or whatever. And and now with, with you know, with Secure 2.0, people can contribute to a 401k. And then, I don't know, 10 years after that, they're like, I forget, did I put money away? I forget if I have money saved for retirement here or there or whatever. It happens. Uh, friends of mine, you know, sometimes they'll get a notice in the mail saying, by the way, you have, you know, $10,000 in a retirement account from when you were 25 years old. Guys, so there, a lot has happened um, and there's a lot to know. And I, and I also want to say for our audience that are listening, all the things that we're talking about, you know, they're coming into effect over the next few years, you know, as far away as 10 years from now when it comes to the required minimum distribution age uh, going up to 75. But I'm not going to I'm not going to go through it. What, what I what I do recommend that you do strongly 
is if you're a Paychex customer, you should be talking to your representative at Paychex and asking for them to go through with you with some of these provisions or making a plan because these are benefits that um, you want to provide. You're going to get assistance in providing them in some case from the government and your competitors are going to be providing them. Bigger companies are providing them as well and you want to be competitive. And these are the kind of things that you should be taking advantage of with Secure 2.0, let alone the fact that putting this money away will benefit your employees and yourself. So talk to your Paychex rep. If you're not a Paychex customer and shame on you, uh, talk to whoever is representing your payroll or your attorney or your CPA, but you need to get advice. There's a lot of stuff packed into this legislation. Sarah, you know, when I, with all the conversations that's going on about um, this and all the good things, of course, being Americans and being humans, there are people that have, that oppose certain things or debating certain things. Uh, You know, some people would say that um, the Secure Act is is just another you know benefit to Wall Street and investment banks and you know because it's it's encouraging all of us to give them our money to to save you know so you're in the middle of this whole you know lobbying fight what was you know what were your thoughts on that do you do you agree with that point of view well the point of view that I agree with is that we have to find solutions for small businesses right. and we need to find solutions for small businesses to be competitive in the market and not just amongst other small businesses but they need to attract and retain the best and the brightest and having benefits of this nature is how they do that and then the next piece of that is keeping them in their chairs and we know from you know, our, our, our outreach and our, you know, examinations of the market, that those are top issues facing all businesses, but particularly acute to small businesses. And so, you know, I mean, again, I, I cited some statistics, but I mean, if you have half your private sector workforce not contributing and you've got one in 12 Americans saying, I just don't even expect that I'm going to retire, there's a problem here. And, and we need to all come to the table and continue to develop and build responsible solutions that can assure that people are able to have a dignified retirement, how, you know, sure. however that is, they choose to, to carry that out. And so, you know, the banks and Wall Street aside, like, I don't speak for them. But what, what I'm here to do is, is, is do my very best for, for small businesses. Fair enough. Fair enough. How about you, Michael? Do you think that there's anything um, that's part of this bill that um, was controversial or anything that you don't support? Or do you feel that there is, uh, uh, th- there's more to be done? As we look back at Secure 1.0, it was a great bill, but we knew there was more to get done. Secure 2.0 filled a lot of those holes, you know, that were left after the first bill. So we're, we're confident, you know, that there are going to be more bipartisan legislation that can help us move forward, potentially a Secure 3.0 in the future. Uh, But there's nothing, I think, from our perspective that we were unhappy with in this bill because everything we look at really just helps more businesses start a plan, makes it easier for businesses, and gives more options for employees to participate. So it really is hitting the trifecta for us of helping more people get into the system and have a chance at a dignified, secure retirement. That's great. Sarah, so as we head into 2023, um, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of curious, uh, what's, what's on your plate that you're, that you're going to be lobbying for on behalf of all of us as paychecks customers. 
Oh, well, um, there, there's this little notion of um, IRS modernization that perhaps the audience has heard a bit about in the uh, $80 billion that um, was granted to the agency as part of the Inflation Reduction Act. So uh, we are uh, playing a role uh, at the IRS in, in providing our views and how we think they should best um, utilize that funding to um, bring into line the business and employment side of the house, uh, vice uh, the individual side, which you know is is a, a bit behind the individual side. And so we have some uh, policy recommendations that we are uh, advancing at Treasury or at Treasury and the IRS, as well as on Capitol Hill. Some of our ideas, um, you know, will re require a statutory change. So. Um, that's what we're going to do. We're also just in, in, in this space, the retirement space, we're, you know, already getting involved in conversations about, you know, what, what does 3.0 look like and, and what else is needed? Uh, because we need to, we need to explore and examine any policy that can bring, bring all of those, you know, all are welcome and we need to make sure all know they're welcome and, and come to that trough and start um, engaging in the system. And certainly um, we're exploring, you know, a variety of different um, policy options to do just that. Um, you know, we are it, it, the number one, you know, plan sponsor provider in the country. And so it, it's, it's, it's almost incumbent on us to do so. Sarah Faye Pierce is the head of government relations at Paychex and Michael Majors is a VP of HR solutions at Paychex. Both of you, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I really appreciate your insights on Secure 2.0 and even the 2019 Secure Act. Um, I am hoping that many of our listeners and audience um, will take your advice in hand and um, start 401k plans or expand their 401k plans or an essential benefit to provide. And we now have a lot of tools and encouragement to do just that. So uh, thank you very much for uh, joining me. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash thrive topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychecks Incorporated 2023, all rights reserved. <laughs>